I truly think that brand is more than just your, your logo, though your logo is very important. But who's behind that? And showcasing those individuals, showcasing the space, putting it out there so that on your website, you don't have stock photography, you have the actual people that are in your business. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the Whisker Cloud podcast. I am Adam Greenbaum, the CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. And today I have probably the most creative person I've ever met in my life, Bryn Ziddle. How are you? I'm so good. And you made me smile so big. Thank you. (laughs) Well, welcome. I'm so excited to chat with you today for a lot of reasons. And really, before we do these podcast episodes... I typically send over some questions. I kind of already know you pretty well, but you Mm -hmm. gave me some fun facts and I'll be weird. I was like, honestly, I felt like I really knew you. And then I learned like seven new things about you from your fun facts that we'll have to talk about today. Before we jump in every episode, we do your superhero origin story. You are absolutely a superhero with everything you do. So Mm -hmm. why don't you tell everyone the moment that got you into vet med, what was the radioactive spider biting your hand, the gamma ray bomb blowing up? How did you become you? That is too funny. I love how you you put that together and you're making my head way too big for this room that I'm in. So I don't know if other people say this, I would say it's accidental, but then again, maybe not. I genuinely had no interest in being in veterinary medicine. I am through and through a creative. When I was little, I wanted to be an actress until I saw myself in front of the camera and was like, maybe not. Maybe I should be behind the camera. Although I would be lying if I said that I don't still like to be in front of the camera and I do and I will. But it was through film school that I worked in an animal emergency and it was specifically to make money while I was in college. And I liked it. And I thought that this was really cool. I have always been active in some way, shape or form with animals, animal rescue, animal volunteer. Growing up, I was not allowed to have a companion animal. My dad is military. So we moved around a lot until we moved to Hawaii, where there is a really bad feral and stray cat problem. And that is what started the the cat lady issue, I guess, in our family. I think it's always been animals and and the the love and passion for animals have always been there. I just never knew I could make that connection working in vet med. Graduated, so I'm fast forwarding, graduated college. I actually worked at a studio, then went off to another job that I thought was going to be an absolute perfect fit for me. This is going to be my career. And it was the first time in my life I've ever been fired. And it was absolutely devastating. But it landed me back at an animal hospital where I was only going to be temporarily. I was like six months and I'm out. I I was a client there. My sister worked there. Had no intentions of staying. Fast forward seven years (laughs) and I'm still there. And it was amazing because within that six month period, they realized I had this passion, this creative passion for filmmaking, for photos and storytelling. And they were trying to do all these how-to videos and really didn't have a social media presence. And they were like, well, listen, if we create a role specifically for you, would you stay? Because we'd love to have you here. And I said, absolutely. They threw me the ball. I ran with it. I was teching, but also doing the social media. I managed their website. 
made how-to videos. The very first ones are awful. Please don't ever watch them. But as I got better and learned and grew in that area, I have definitely created pieces that I'm super proud of to include the parody music videos. And I've realized during that process that I could fuse my passion for film and animals together and, and utilize this platform to advocate for animal wellness and animal rights and animal this and that. And so that's a long story long, but that's what I would say somewhere a spider bit me. And then I turned into <laughs> what you said. <laughs> Your spider woman. My spider. <laughs> Can I be Catwoman Because I'm hashtag cat lady through and through. Yeah, you are Catwoman, and we'll have to create a new superhero for me that's like Boston Terrier guy. But what I like about you is you're a lot like me. That's a weird thing to say. And I like that you're a lot like a lot of the people that work at Whisker Cloud. All of us sort of have these tech, creative, agency, startup backgrounds. And everyone that works at Whisker Cloud has pets that they love, is really close with their veterinarian. And even when we interview people and it's like, tell me about your pet. And I always say, tell me about your veterinarian. And this is true. If they, if they are like, oh yeah, they're fine. Like they can't work here. They just won't understand it. They really have to say, it's like someone says to me, tell me about your vet. It's like, okay, well, I had moved to California. I had my rescue Boston Terrier Baxter and he has horrible, horrible allergies. And someone told me, hey, there's a guy, Dr. Andrew Lewis out there. He's obsessed with dermatology and you will absolutely love him and he'll and he'll make Baxter feel a thousand times better. And I remember the first time I went to their office and I walked in and I showed him Baxter and he grabbed a pen or he grabbed a marker on his whiteboard and he started drawing cells and explaining to me why Baxter's allergies the way, were the way they were. And he kind of goes through all this stuff and it was like, he's drawing it and he was talking fast and he was almost crazy. And I thought, am I looking in a mirror? <laughs> and, and since then he's been our guy. And, you know, even when we moved a little bit further away from him, I'm like, no, he's my guy. He, he cares so much that it was, you know, four in the afternoon and he walked in there like we were his first patient of the day and he just started drawing cells and drawing science stuff. And I was like, you know what? I trust you with Baxter. So I'm, I'm with you. I have a love for animals. The people at Whisker Cloud have a love for animals. And, and, and I think in an industry that's missing a lot of creativity sometimes, it's nice that we can come in and provide it. Absolutely. So I met you through Danielle. Yep. And I had always seen all the videos you produced. A lot of these videos that had been going viral online and I wanted to do something fun. And, and for us, COVID had just started. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember those first couple of weeks, we went from getting maybe 40, 50 emails a day to like double, triple that pretty fast. It was like overnight. I mean, I remember like March 14th, March 15th, I remember sort of talking to our team and saying, listen, they need us. This is scary. We're going to be there. We're going to do this. And, and we changed our entire company culture, our company support hours. And we just said, if they need stuff at 8 PM, we're going to be there. If they need stuff at 3 AM Pacific time or Eastern time, we're going to be there. And we hired and we structured and we made it work. And I wanted to make sort of a fun video to let vet med know who works at whisker cloud, who are some of the faces um, behind the emails and phone calls and Working with you and your husband was so fun. 
but beyond that, getting to know you was way better than just working on that video with you. Because I feel like every time you and I talk, I start getting ideas. And I'm not kidding. You and I talked for 20 minutes before we hit record this morning. And and I have like 20 ideas in my head just from talking to you about a couple different things. So I really love that stuff. So you, you went to film school and you're working in a vet hospital and you're doing all these things. Let me ask you this. Like, you, so you said your early videos weren't good, which mm-hmm. I would guess we could all watch them right now and everyone listening mm-hmm. would, would be blown away. <laughs> so what, what happened where you went from these are bad to, oh my God, I'm, I'm actually making really good content here. What did you have to do personally, professionally to get yourself to that point where you sort of graduated to that next level? I'm going to throw everybody off probably. So I took a hard left turn and one of my girlfriends that I worked with at the animal hospital was getting married. And I said, Jen, let me film it. How fun. And so I filmed it and it's not bad, not bad at all. It was a beautiful day, but I had, you know, my old clunky camera. And as you know, Adam, I mean, I feel like you more than anyone, like technology is ever changing. It's always evolving. It's always getting better. And I thought I was like awesome with this giant hunky camera on my tripod and my zooms and my pans and my (laughs) tilts and nothing against zooms and pans and tilts. You know, there's a place and time for them. I, I look at that now and I think very old school, especially zoom. And then my sister was getting married and I couldn't film it because I was in it, but her photographer also shot weddings. Now she didn't hire him to shoot, but I saw his work and said, holy crap, that's a good wedding film. Like this is not your documentary, boring, fast forward through wedding film. This is a movie. And we befriended him and he actually came up from Virginia to teach me how to shoot on a DSLR camera with a monopod and a slider and all these really awesome rigs. And we said, wow, this is so cool. And I had this ridiculous idea that I wanted to film weddings. And that's where our talent grew. And because of the way that those wedding films, the stories are told, it's not a linear, it's not a linear film. We might start at the very end and then we're bouncing back and forth throughout the day. Everything is beautiful. The shots are beautiful. Our transitions are beautiful. The music is beautiful. The audio is beautiful. I used to tell my brides when they would come for consults, I want you to be able to take any frame of this movie. And if you turn it into a a, a picture, you would actually hang it. That's what I strive for every single one of my shots to be a beautiful piece of art. And I want there to be a story. So it's, it was wedding films that taught me the importance of telling a story through visuals, through narration, through your audio, and how to do that in a way that isn't boring and is just like, you know, you are glued to the screen and you don't want to break away because you're just so like in awe at what you're watching and you're immersed in what you're what you're witnessing. And so I took what I learned from wedding films and I applied that to what I was doing in vet med. So truly my early stuff is very basic, very, I call it corporate, if you will. It's, it's boxy. Where all my other, if you were to take a shape to my other work, there is no shape. It's just this like, 
looks like someone took something and threw it and it splattered and it's beautiful because there's, there's no hard lines. It's just its own unique form. And so that's, again, my long story long of where I think I grew this, if I can say talent, that's where it came from was wedding films. I don't film weddings anymore. They're a lot of work. So I just, I really want to use all this knowledge and experience that I've gained and use it for animals. I have one big question. Okay. What is more, I want to say, stressful? Shooting a wedding or a very busy day in a vet hospital? Can it depend on the circumstances? Because like if I have a heat stroke case come in, like that's life or death. So that's going to be incredibly more stressful. No, I think, I mean, I remember... My wife, she doesn't love how our wedding photography came out. Mm-hmm. I, think. I think we had this vision. We got married at the beach and it was sunset. So I think we had this vision of the picture. Yeah. And I think we got like, we thought we'd have like 200 of these just like. Oh, no. And, and, well, we had like the most incredible sunset. The problem was it was a really sunny day in June and we were right by the ocean and the light hitting the water caused a lot of overexposure and reflection on us getting married right by the beach. And I remember watching our photographer and that day he was, he was amazing with us. He had an assistant, but I watched them run around. I watched him run over to each set of parents and say, you, I need you there. I need you there. Okay. Now smile and act like we're doing this, you know, in real Mm -hmm. time. I mean, he was great, but I was thinking like, man, he's carrying 50 pounds of equipment. He's got to be, it's, it's hot out. Like this has to be a rough day for him. So I'm picturing you with the big clunky camera running around. Yeah. And I also hear stories about pick a day at any vet hospital, especially during COVID and it's crazy, but I guess they're tough to compare. I definitely was more stressed working weddings. And I think that maybe because I wasn't the DBM where I'm on the sidelines doing what someone is telling me, I'm not a licensed technician. So maybe all the weight wasn't on my shoulders where with a wedding, all the weight was truly, I did lead my team. We all had roles, but I I definitely took the leadership role and it was, it's a non-controlled shoot. I prefer controlled shoots if I can, because you're controlling the environment, you're controlling the people around and and all those, all those things with a wedding, you're dealing with so much that's out of your control that it's not even funny. And you're, and I'm very passionate. And if my name is attached to it, I want it to be as good as it can possibly be because it is a representation of who I am and who our company is. And so I take great pride within that. And I, and I take great responsibility in that. And I would do everything I could to manage expectations. So something that would come up, you mentioned where you guys were, the time of day, and we would always try and manage expectations. Like, hey, high noon is actually not the best time to maybe do portraits. We want either, you know, earlier in the morning or for a wedding, you're talking, you know, closer to sunset when the light isn't as harsh. But in a wedding, it's a live moving production where you kind of have to go with the flow. So one of the reasons we stopped shooting was because the stress was genuinely too much for me because I, t- I take so much pride. And if something went wrong and it was not because of us, but because of whatever was out of our control, I mean, I would be at home crying because I was like, how am I supposed to fix this? How can I make this what it's supposed to be, what my expectations are? And it ended up being too much for me, for sure. 
you and I are literally the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like you say stuff like that. And I just think about that, how personally I take stuff when mm-hmm. I, let me ask you if you deal with this too. It's like, I feel like I look at something, whether it's the way our team built a website, whether it's a logo they're doing, whether it's, you know, our team does a billion creative things a day. And I'm like, if I look at it and I don't personally like it, I get very upset. And I, and I never even take the time to think, Hey, that's probably exactly what they wanted. They love it. I look at them like, no, we could clean up that line. That edge could be a little tighter on this. And this is a good segue. You're OCD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm extremely OCD. And a lot of my life, it's been debilitating. Mm-hmm. And when I say debilitating, I just feel like I waste a lot of additional time in life sort of making things perfect. I think a lot of vets that I've met are also very OCD. So let's play a game for a couple of minutes. Okay. And I'm hoping some vets who are listening are laughing because they're just as um, interesting as us. (laughs) Tell me like the course of a work day for you work day, you're at home, you wake up. What are like three sort of, I don't want to, I don't know if the right terms, three OCD things, but what are three things you do that are very structured that will like other people would watch you do it and be like, Oh, she's interesting. I vacuum every day, every morning (laughs) before I start work because you see, I mean, we have, they're not hardwood, either laminate or vinyl. I'm bad at whatever it is. And they're dark, not by my choice, by hubby's choice. So for an OCD person, it's like the worst color because you can see everything. And so I vacuum because I can't, I work out first. And part of my workout, when I do the weight training part of my workout session, you're on the floor for some of my exercises so I can see everything. So I'm like, I have to clean it. I can't start anything until I clean it. The fact that I vacuum every day at least once, sometimes twice, think people think I'm crazy. I always strive to ensure. So I would say if if you're going to put it in a nutshell, it's that I need things clean because externally, right? How things are around me when it is maybe not tidy, things are everywhere. It actually impacts how I feel internally. So when things are straight and tidy and clean and there's no dishes in the sink or on the counter and everything's in its place, I actually start to feel at ease. So if by chance there's something left in the sink, which there often is, we have cats, we have one, the one that's 21 is she eats frequently throughout the day. So right before bed, we'll throw food down. And then sometimes we just, if it's the bowl's empty, we'll put it in the sink and just throw water in it. And then I'll clean it, you know, in the morning, but all of that stuff has to be tidy. So that, that would be more than three things, but is that a, is that an adequate answer? No, that's great. And it's, it's funny. Cause I'm like picturing a couple vets that I've talked to about their OCD stuff. And I'm like, I, you know, I know what it's like in vet hospitals. I'm like, I don't know how you do that because oh, it's like, it's yeah, like all day, every day. It's, there's just so much happening. There's so many moving parts yeah. and I think they deal with it a lot. And, you know, like me, I'll tell you guys how crazy I am. (laughs) We have internal systems where we keep notes on every client. Oh man, I I go look at it every other day and it's like, oh, and one, they put the clinic phone number as nine digits and another one, they put one dash nine digits and another one, they put the area code in parentheses. And then we have team meetings and I'm like, hey guys, you know how your boss is a little freaky? can we figure out how we want to do the numbers and stick to it? And everyone Mm -hmm. sort of looks at each other. So it's like, 
Uh, yeah, but I'm like, no, you know, our data needs to be clean. If every little thing is clean, when they email us, you know, and someone needs to call them, it's always the same. We know what to look for. So, and you should see when I review the sites, our web team builds, who I probably drive them nuts because I'm like, okay, so you have these two boxes. One is showcasing their online pharmacy and others showcasing their app. They're about two pixels off. And I constantly hear, well, no one on earth would ever know. And I'm like, well, I know I saw it. <laughs> so I imagine for vets or veterinary professionals or practice managers, being that very tidy, strict person is probably really important, especially when you're running the hospital. But for you and I, especially now working from home, it's probably like, yeah, I'll get up, I'll clean, I'll work out. For them in the hospitals, and I've we've had so many of these talks. It's always so funny. I always like they'll tell me stories. I'm like, oh man, I would not do well with that at all. It was a struggle when I was working in clinic because I think that a lot of people just and I get it. You kind of grow to accept it, right? Like you go to some doctor's desks and you're like, holy explosion of files. Like there's not even any working <laughs> space. And then you get to my desk and like I would get angry if someone. I have pictures, Adam, on my phone. I'd go on vacation and my manager would send me pictures of pranks that they were doing where they would move things into different spots on my desk and then send me a photo. Is this where this goes? Is this right? I mean, they got a kick out of it because I was so inbox zero. Things have its place. Yeah, no, and I it, it was a struggle. And you just got to sometimes wear blinders. <laughs> I was the head of digital analytics at lasvegas.com and the Las Vegas Convention Visitors Authority years ago. And I mean, I, at the time I had like one picture on my desk. I, I don't use pens and paper for literally anything on earth. And I remember one day my boss coming in, he's like, you know, you haven't decorated. I said, I'm good. He like opened the drawers. They were all empty. And he's like, do you have anything you can write on? I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'll just type it. What do you need? And he like paused and he looked at me. He's like, you're kind of creepy, man. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, I'm just good. I don't want paper. I don't want pens. I don't need post-its and paper clips and staplers and no fax clutter. machines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't like clutter. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm with you. We're the same person. <laughs> so, so it's the creatives. It's, uh, I guess it's maybe, maybe that's it. It's this creative thing where we tinker with things a hundred times. No one knows this. I make changes to the whiskercloud.com website probably daily. And there's <laughs> the, literally the stoop last night at probably 1145 PM my wife and I were watching a movie and I'm sitting there on the couch and I was like, that line is white. What would it look like yellow? And then I like show her the computer we were watching. I know what you did last summer because <laughs> it's spooky season. Yeah. And so here she is nervous, very worried about Freddie Prince jr. Like we all were. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like, do you like this line is yellow? And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, it was white. Now it's yellow. Do you like it? She was like, show me white. So I showed her the white. It's the tiniest line. Honestly, no one on earth would see. It. She was like, I love you, but I don't care. It's yeah. like, oh, so yellow then, right? We're going yellow here. Is that the one you wanted? Yes. Okay. Let's go with yellow. Yes, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but I will say this. And I think the biggest thing that people could take away from you and I today is you obsess over your work. Mm -hmm. and you're incredibly successful. I obsess over literally everything at Whisker Cloud. I obsess about how our marketing coordinator sends emails. I obsess about the way our director of customer experience gets on the phone with people. I 
obsess over the way our project managers talk to people. I obsess over how we present logos to people. It's like, no, you don't just say, hey, here's a logo. What do you think? It's no, mm. here's the logo. This was the inspiration. This is why we did this. And I, I feel like a lot of what I do is coaching on that. It's guys, we're, we're not just saying, you know, it's like, what if you brought your pet to the vet? And they're like, cool. They weren't feeling well. I gave them a shot. Bye. It's like, no, Baxter wasn't feeling well. You know, we did a quick test. We want to make sure there's no parasites or anything. I'm going to start him on this medication for this, this, and this reason. And we're going to check back in two days. Like you need that detail. And I think the problem that a lot of veterinary hospitals have in their marketing, in their perception is they don't care about that stuff mm -hmm. and they don't obsess over it. And it's weird to me that they don't because I obsess over everything and I sit there and say, how do you not care? That, you know, like I, I'll be, I, I could literally never own a vet hospital. Cause I'd be like, Hey guys, like the floors are dirty. And they'd be like, well, yeah, no shit. This is a vet hospital. <laughs> it's 9am. We cleaned them last night. And I'd be like, well, what are we going to do about it? And they'd be like, uh, we're going to do nothing. It's nine in the morning. We've been open for an hour and we have 50 dogs and cats coming mm -hmm. in today. And I'd be like, yeah, we're going to have to figure that out. So I, I don't know how they do it, but like, from you being an expert on brand identity and creative things and, and how to make designs, like what are vet hospitals missing just from the creative aspect of how they brand themselves, how they showcase themselves, how things look and feel both digitally and in the hospital? Like where is that mental gap that's not quite fixed yet? I'm always worried if I'm giving the right answer. And I know that that's something I shouldn't worry about. You're so OCD about these I know. things. I, from being in vet med for as many years as I, as I have really at one hospital, right? So I've got experience with this, this one group of amazing people. I genuinely believe that it's probably because they honestly have so many other things on their minds. I am one to say that I do believe, and I might get hate for this, that they're overworked. They don't get lunches. They barely get breaks, at least in my experience. And, and I think the last thing they, they care about is these types of details when they've got, you know, however many patients that were already in treatment. And then you add on whoever else ended up having to stay because a wellness visit turned into like, holy crap, Fluffy hasn't eaten in a week. Like we've got serious problems or like this cat is yellow, like, or this cat hasn't peed in, you know, however many days and it's a male. And now I have three emergency surgeries. So that's just what I think it is based on my experience with the veterinarians. And, and I would say like the medical directors, because they just have so much on their plate. And, and also that I think that they're just not, I, I think that part of it isn't, they're not getting this coaching in vet school when it comes to social media and branding and business savvy. And it's very, I've never been through vet school, but very science and this and this and this and this. And it's, you know, they're missing all of this other really important pertinent information, kind of like regular people, right? We don't learn about taxes and buying a home in school. And it's like, this is, these are life lessons. This is how you get through life. And same for vet med, in my opinion. I mean, this is, we're dealing with people. This is actually a people industry. And how do we attain new clients? How do we client retention and how do we build brand awareness? And I just think that they don't, they don't have the time, but luckily 
there are people like us to do it for them if they're willing. <laughs> and with my company that I work for now, Veterinary Practice Partners, I mean, literally they have this entire team. I'm part of the marketing team and we're here to to do it with them. So we're very big on collaborating, but it's like, listen, like, who are you? Tell us who you are. What are your values? What are your missions? I believe when I, when I joined my team, I truly think that brand is more than just your, your logo, though your logo is very important, but who's behind that and showcasing those individuals, showcasing the space, putting it out there so that, you know, you know, on your website, you don't have stock photography. You have the actual people that are in your business that are handling your clients' animals. And these are animals who are family members, just like your Boston's or your family members. My cats are, are my babies. Like it's a really serious, serious job that we have. And I think that there needs to be more awareness and more open-mindedness to sharing the more organic moments and the realness of who you are because and maybe so I'll, I'll align it with BZ Cinema right I am BZ Cinema I represent I am that company and what I produce is me for this company just like you are Whisker Cloud and what you produce is is a reflection of you and I think that same for VetMed I mean these doctors the technicians the, the team they are a representation of the company and so we have to utilize that to promote that is your brand. I'm hoping I'm answering the question right. Is that okay? No, you know what's funny is I'm like hearing you answer this and it's as per usual on this episode, it's exactly how I answer it. Cause you're like, I, I can hear like the almost frustration in your voice. And I assume anyone listening can too. And I feel that it's just like, I think in the last week we've had about 17 hospitals sign up with Whisker Cloud. And it's like, and of those 17, typically maybe 30% have good photos of the clinic, have good photos of the team. They typically, like I said, about one third takes good pictures, showcases the team, takes the time to write bios, takes the time to tell us their mission. And even when we, we have people that work with them on those things, but yeah, I'm with you. It's like, I make it really clear. I don't care what you do at Whisker Cloud. You're representing Whisker Cloud. I mean, my employees have heard me say it a hundred times. Whisker Cloud is not my company. It is my child. Weird thing to say, but like I treat it like my child. I protect it like my child. If a client's unhappy, that means my child had a bad day and I'm going to step in and be part of that conversation. And I think practice owners and veterinary professionals and practice managers and and all of that, they need to really feel that way about the brand. And episode two of the Whisker Talks podcast Brandon Brashears, who runs our advertising department, and I talked about how, like, what are some of the things that stop a hospital from crushing it with their Google ads or Facebook ads or retargeting ads that we do, even though the ads are performing great? And one of them, we talked about answering the phone. And we, mm. had, we had called, we were on Zoom with a client who owns some hospitals, and we called one of the locations, and they put us on hold for six minutes. And mm -hmm. then they got on the phone. It was horrible. Another one got on the phone and said, there's actually a vet closer to you, which was like, I literally like almost fell out of my chair when I heard that. And But I, I think take the ads out of it. Take the social media and the creative stuff you do out of it. Even if it's just Joe Schmo down the street, Adam Greenbaum down the street, Bryn Ziddle mm -hmm. down the street, just calling to ask a question and potentially be a customer. It's like, it's what goes back to the data for me. If we don't have the wherewithal to figure out if we should have parentheses or dashes or one dash in our phone, phone number in our internal system that no one sees but us, 
how the hell are we going to consistently send the right email? How the hell are we going to consistently have the right phone conversation? So I obsess over those things. And I feel like the marketing and the creative stuff and the OCD stuff, it's all connected because it's all the way a business is run. And this is literally like the conversation. I think some other people who are probably not as uh, unique as you and I, that seems like the right <laughs> word, but like they're probably listening and they're exhausted. Cause they're like, these two are freaks. I'm just going to go in, care for some animals, clean up, count the drawer and go home. Yeah. But like, but no, I mean, at Apple, at Nike, at all of these companies, they obsess over what color should the shoelace be? What color should the tongue be in this ad? I mean, I've worked at pretty high level agencies before we produce 50 different versions of an ad. I mean, I, I know you with everything you do, you probably go through reshoots and edits a billion times. It's like, yeah. it needs to be perfect. Every mm -hmm. little thing, every stupid little line that should be a specific shade of yellow should be <laughs> yellow. Whether you're watching a nineties horror movie with your wife at 1145 on a Friday night, I think the vet hospitals, you know, a lot of people talk about like Bond Vet in New York and a couple of these other ones. I mean, they just, they nail every piece of it. It's the mm -hmm. website, it's the social, it's the, the way they answer the phone, it's the way they use their internal systems. And when you do all of those things, um, everything else sort of falls into place. I don't believe in luck. Do you believe in luck? No, no, I've never served me. <laughs> <laughs> never, no, never. I, I'm really, really lucky. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't believe in luck. I was raised by a single mother, had an abusive father that wasn't around. I got myself a scholarship to college. I graduated high school with honors. I busted my ass. I, I always crush it in everything I did, not because I'm a genius, but because I'm a little OCD and just said, I'm writing this paper. No, this could be better. No, this could be better. Okay, you get 100%. You wrote a good paper. Well, I could have turned it in the first time and, and saved myself six hours of rewrites, but yeah. it wasn't perfect. So you, know, you take that into running a business like a vet hospital or a mobile vet practice or whatever you're doing. And it's those, those little details that make the difference. If you're a mobile vet, you might say, I just want to buy a car magnet for 50 bucks, slap it on and see if mm -hmm. it works. Mm -hmm. Or you might say, Hey, I'm going to go to a professional wrap place. I'm going to spend a couple thousand and I'm going to make the coolest freaking mobile vet van, whatever on the planet. And I'm going to drive by, I'm going to drive around town and people are going to look at that and be like, Mm -hmm. I want them to come to my house because that they look like they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you and I, this is like a nice session for you and I just to get out all of our weird OCD stuff. We are oddly OCD, but I mean, it's, I think also too, it goes back to just, this is like a compliment ourselves sesh, but like for anybody just having, you know, a solid work ethic and pride in what you do, regardless of what it is, you know, and I acknowledge that in vet med, the, the days are exhausting. And now more than ever, I know that it's easy to just feel like, oh my God, like it's just groundhog day, wake up and do it all over again. And they're getting yelled at and screamed at. And I, and I know what that's like pre pandemic. I've heard stories, horror stories of what it's like during the pandemic. But I think that we represent who we work for, or what we work for, and that you should have a sense of pride. And also, I mean, this is attributed to hospital culture, work culture. If you are happy and, and everyone is happy, then that is contagious and it is going to 
bleed into what you do, whether that's answering a phone or answering an email or you're, the way that you're interacting with a client. It makes the world of a difference. It really does. And I know that, and I again, I'm acknowledging that now it's harder than ever. When you're getting screamed at by someone, the last thing you want to do is smile at them and be polite. But when I was in clinic, I used to try and remind myself, like, once it's done, it's done. Go back. Don't let it ruin your whole day as best as you can. And just keep, just remember why you're doing this. Remember why you're there. And, and honestly, if, if you're there just to be there, you're not in the right place. And, and life is too short. We spend so much of our time of our life at work. If you don't like what you're doing, find somewhere where you're going to be at least a little bit more happy because otherwise you're wasting your time. Well said. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you had talked about there should be ways to focus on decreasing burnout, compassion fatigue, and talk about work-life balance and mental health. So you're one of the healthiest people I know. <laughs> and I think I could match your healthiness. I eat healthy. You do? No, I eat healthy 90% of the time. <laughs> but the 10%, the 10 is like nuclear bomb bad. No, <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, it's not even 10%. I eat healthy 90% five percent of the time the five percent is literally an asteroid hitting earth <laughs> you know it's like we'll make like quinoa and some salmon and some broccoli and we'll have this nice dinner and i'll be downstairs working at nine o'clock at night and i'll have like seven popsicles and i'm like <laughs> how did that just happen i i was healthy i had granola for breakfast i hard boiled some eggs and put them in a salad for lunch i had this nice dinner and then it's like yeah, I'll have like 14 popsicles. <laughs> and like, I'll look down and there's like, you know, popsicle sticks in the trash. I'm like, well, those are at the top. So they're new. <laughs> I don't even remember going upstairs to get six of these. So, but like, I think like that lifestyle, that work-life balance, that mental health in vet hospitals, right now it's tough. People are crazy. Whisker Cloud has a team that manages reviews and we're like, and even we read them, you know, I always read these articles about like Facebook moderators and how they, they need professional help just seeing all the insane stuff that people and horrific, mm. gross things people put on Facebook. Nowhere near that bad, but we have a Slack channel where we just post like the crazy reviews come in and there's like 20 a day and it's just like, oh. and I, and I know if I was reading those things about my company and my team, I would start to really lose it. So what do you recommend for these vet hospitals and these people that through no fault of their own or dealing with that. You know, it's like, they made me wait outside in my car. They made me put on a mask. How dare they? It's sort of like, oh, kiss my ass. I'm killing myself for you. We're putting ourselves at risk for you. And you had to wait in the car for three extra minutes while we made sure that it was a clear path for us to go get your dog. And you had a great, your pet was taken care of. You were able to pay from your car and all of these things. But those three minutes that you felt like you waited too long and you're, you're the most important person on earth, you had to go harm my business by giving me a one-star review. How do you recommend they handle that and deal with that? I love that you are asking me this question because I literally just took over responding to every single review for every single hospital that we've partnered with. And we have <laughs> over 60. We have over 60. And it's me. And it is something that I'm learning. I So we have a new head of our department. And so she is really doing a lot of hand-holding 
with me. And the only thing I could have done prior is go back to when I was filming weddings. So, you know, we have Tao Studios, which is the mother, the parent company, and then Brinzittle Cinema is its little daughter. So that's the one that's focused on all the animal videos that anyone has ever seen that I've done. But, you know, having that experience with reviews personally, I understand how that feels on a personal level. And I remember one occasion where we got the worst review. We only ever got one bad review when we were filming weddings. It destroyed me. I mean, I was angry. I was pissed. I was like, how dare they? They, they, this is not how they acted when I was with them in person. And I felt like completely just lied to and betrayed. And it was, it was horrible. It was one of the most horrible experiences I've ever had. I remember having, you know, I wrote, I wrote our response, then realized there was a character limit. And I was like, damn it. And then I had to shorten it. And then, you know, we walked away. Although now I know we really shouldn't wait more than 24 hours. And what I didn't realize I knew then, and now having learned all that, you know, I have with being given this new responsibility of responding to reviews. And somehow we, we did this right when we got the really bad one with the wedding was that it's really just important to acknowledge it, thank them for their time to apologize that they feel this way, even if, even if it doesn't feel right, right. Even if you know, you're not in the wrong, but taking that opportunity and, and I think it is important to respond to the negative ones, not just because you're acknowledging someone who's dissatisfied, even if they're wrong. And maybe I'm wrong for feeling this way. I know when I look at reviews, because I do, I monitor reviews when I'm looking to, to start, like look for a company to maybe maintenance trees or do something on the house or whatever it might be. I do, I check reviews. And if I see a company response and I see how they handle it, because usually the bad ones are like poorly written, right? Like terrible grammar and just, you're like, okay, how is this person crazy? And if I see a company respond professionally and politely and in a way that I'm like, well, damn, that was good, <laughs> right? You're like, okay, all right. Like they, they're trying to fix it. That says so much. We didn't necessarily do that with the wedding couple because, you know, what was done was done. It was, that's a different industry. So it was more or less like, listen, we're, we're so sorry. Like we appreciated the time you took to have a conversation with us. And we're so sorry that I'm not using the right, the exact words, but you know, essentially we, we backed ourselves up without like pointing the finger. And I think that there is a way to verbalize things, even if someone is wrong. So I just had to do a review response for someone that was mad that the hospital wouldn't prescribe a medication. Meanwhile, the dog hadn't been seen in over a year. So we'd lapse that patient-doctor relationship, right? This is a legal issue. If they prescribe this medication to this dog without seeing him, they could kill him. Things may have changed. And there is a way to acknowledge that in a response that's professional and polite. And then, you know, invite them to take the conversation offline without making them feel like you're being defensive and without looking like a fool in the response and trying to keep your feelings out of it as much as possible, even though it is a very personal situation. And I acknowledge that. Like, even when I'm reading these reviews, to respond to them. Like, it's hard. I put myself right back in that vet med position. I'm like, huh? So I wonder what the real story is. And I'm not saying that every bad review is false because there are going to be instances where, you know, a mistake was made. It happens. We're all under a lot of stress and 
Someone may not have answered the phone politely. You may have accidentally been left on hold for way too long. Maybe there really was a bad interaction between a team member and the client, but it doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity to make it right. And so I think that we have to acknowledge that, you know, our online reputation is a big deal. And especially now, I mean, that stuff can go viral quick, right? I mean, you can, someone, if, if an animal dies, or is, is severely injured because of something like that can take off like wildfire. So addressing it as quickly as possible, professionally, politely, inviting them to take the conversation offline. It could be saving grace. Always just get it offline and, and just call. And, and honestly, the advice I would give everyone to piggyback on yours is literally get on the phone and do whatever you have to do mm-hmm. to get that negative re- removed, especially if it's pretty bad. Like, just do what you have to do. Sometimes you might have to grovel. You might have to apologize for something you didn't do. That's called life. Sometimes in my life, that's called marriage. I'm so <laughs> dead for that. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. Yeah. Anyway, I'm dead. So <laughs> I was going to say, is she going to hear this? I'm going to DM her. <laughs> <laughs> so... Through this process, I felt like I already knew you and I've learned some interesting things about you. You have an identical twin sister, like I fully identical. I do. How do I know that this is even Bryn talking to me right now? Oh, because she is not nearly as cool. And uh, uh, now that I'm trying to like act cool, I can't. (laughs) But isn't that what she would say to make me think it wasn't her? You know what? So we are very similar and she would honestly probably respond with the same energy, with the same getting lost. We, we both, my husband says, Jay says my pull string gets stuck and Caitlin's does too. And we very often start on one subject and then end in a completely like different book, right? In a different library. <laughs> and we're like, wait, where were we? And we lose our train of thought. So we are very it's scary how similar we are. So it could be her. And our voices are also very similar. I can obviously tell us apart, but we throw people off regularly when it's a situation where someone's calling, but we are in different locations. So at this point, it is truly Bryn. And I do like to think I'm slightly cooler, but that's just me. (laughs) Now you guys worked at a hospital together, you said? Literally did everything growing up the same. We were both into theater. We both went to film school. So we were at the same animal emergency room. We shared a car. So having to work at the same jobs made the most sense. We were in the same classes. And it wasn't until she got married and moved away that we were, I remember being like, wait, I have to pump gas by myself. Like, we'd have to get groceries alone. Like, how does this work? <laughs> so it was very, it was, a, it was almost a really awful dependency that we created without even realizing it. And, and now we're definitely significantly more independent. I mean, she's got a kid. I don't have a kid. I don't want a kid. We kind of like veered off in ways that I never thought was even possible, but we are still very similar in a lot of ways. She's a fantastic photographer, outstanding. I miss her tremendously. And I, and as much as we fight and hate each other on a pretty regular basis, she is, aside from my old my oldest cat, she is my best friend. Well, and okay, Jason too. But you know what I mean? Like longstanding, right? Like these people have, this cat has been in my life for 21 years. Caitlin has been in my life for 33. We're so similar. We're both creatives. We're terrible at math and science, like horrific. We're so alike in so many ways that it's actually pretty 
pretty mind blowing. And the other day, I I learned something about you, okay. and I almost texted you and said Guten Tag. Oh yes, Guten Morgen. Es geht mir gut. Gut. My German is very bad now, but we spoke it pretty fluently when we lived in Europe. And then, honestly, it was moving to Hawaii that we lost it because it was neither taught in school until like my senior year is when we picked it back up. And I moved at the end of my sixth grade. So it was enough enough of a time frame away from the language on a regular basis, both in our environment as well as, which is kind of crazy because my, my dad speaks like four languages. They my Both my parents speak German pretty fluently, but it wasn't something we practiced. And so I understand more than I can speak than I can speak. My German is pretty shoddy, but yeah, nope. We know it. We were born there. So <laughs> that is so cool. You're born in Germany, lived in Europe, moved to Hawaii. And I live in Southern California and, and my favorite place to visit in the U S is Hawaii. And, and we love Europe and it's just like, you just sort of lived the dream. Yeah. Oh, and didn't realize it until I moved nothing against Maryland folks, but I definitely didn't go up. <laughs> It didn't get better, (laughs) unfortunately, with regards to like location. I'm very used to being the minority, whether that is ethnically or it's culturally. And so to be the majority is really weird. Not having to be challenged to speak another language and not being forced to kind of go out of your comfort zone and be in, in in an environment that's different culturally or the way things are the way people speak. And I enjoy very much the diversity that is something I've grown up in. And it's something that I value and appreciate. And so I wouldn't mind going back to something that, you know, there's just not to say that there's nothing unique in Maryland, but I'm vegan. Everything up in Maryland is seafood and crabs and horse racing and none of that stuff I like. <laughs> I like. So it's like, well, crap, what do I do now? So it's, you know, but I met my husband, we started our business here. And for those things, I'm grateful. But like I've said to you before, if I could go back to Hawaii, I would in literally a split second, because it is perhaps one of my favorite. And I took living for granted in both of those. I mean, I remember we'd pop off to Paris, like, oh, we're going to go to Paris this weekend. Like everyone does this. No, Bryn, you're crazy. This is not normal. Like, I had a spectacular upbringing. I'm so lucky that my parents were like, we're traveling, we're seeing things, we're, we're doing things that at a young age, you just don't know that how lucky and fortunate you are to, to be experiencing those types of situations. And I wish that I had paid more attention and maybe not cried. Like I know that there are, there are trips I was like, I just want to be with my friends. And it's like, kid, stop being a snot. Like this is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get to Europe till I was in my 30s and we did nine days in Paris for our honeymoon. And it was just like, and I think about Paris a lot, like a lot, a lot. Rome is my favorite city. We would go to Paris a lot because it was a hop, skip and a jump from, we spent most of our time in the Netherlands, Poland. I mean, just so much. I love Sound of Music and we got to go to where they filmed a lot of Sound of Music. So for me, a lot is also attributed to like, I'm, I'm a movie buff. And so if I get to go where they like filmed a movie, I'm like even more excited. So, so much is done in Europe, although in America too, you know, I was a national treasure and that was filmed part. One of the scenes was filmed 
Did you just say you were in National Treasure? I wasn't. We were an extra, and I was an extra in National Treasure. I was an extra in Fifty First Dates. I was a featured extra in the TV show that bombed called Hawaii, where I was a child sex slave. And I think that was the bulk of like my big time stuff. And that's, that's about when I was like, oh, I'm not really that good at this. And this might not be the best way to try and make a living. <laughs> it's a lot of work. So, I mean, I love film. Uh, it's, that is, if I could do that full time, I would be truly the happiest person on the planet. I am very happy with my career at Veterinary Practice Partners. And I, there's so much room for growth. And I have a fantastic team that I genuinely, genuinely really, really like. But film, that's where my heart lies through and through. We'll talk about, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow you, what you're working on next. So they can find me on social, surprise. I'm terrible about being on there, but just bear with me because I, my workload is slightly obnoxious and I'm um, having a hard time getting on it. But Instagram is going to be Bryn Ziddle Cinema. And on Facebook, I believe it's also Bryn Ziddle Cinema. I do hyphenate it from time to time. I'll just say BZ Cinema because God forbid I say a few extra words. And then, of course, our website. You could go to taustudios.com. Taus is a Dutch word. Surprise. And it means to be at home because we want our clients to feel at home with us. If you were to go to Tau Studios, T-H-U-I-S, there's a little button for Brin's Little Cinema that you could click and you could navigate to me there. But more people just follow me on, um, on Instagram. And like I said, I try and get on there. And then what was your other question? Look, I just proved that I lose my train of thought. What are you working on next in vet med? Oh, goodness. I mean, for VPP, we're actually creating a how-to video because of the pandemic. So this is not a Bryn Zindel Cinema thing, but it is film. So I'm going to talk about it. We're going to show our hospitals how to take hospital photography with their phones since we can't get out and travel. And we can't, so we can't update photography for any of our hospitals and we can't shoot new photography for any of the new hospitals that we're partnering with. For Bryn's Little Cinema, honestly, the, I, I'm kind of stumped. Like I, I don't have any projects in the works, but I am dying to do another parody music video, like literally itching to my core. So that is under the radar. We're sort of kind of talking about what the next potential one could be. But I'm also waiting to see where my sister is going to move because she is the vocalist behind all of those music. So getting her to record music that doesn't sound like our first parody music video, which was terrible because she just sang into the computer. I'm not going backwards. So we we do want it to be as appropriate as possible. Adam, I'll probably end up doing another sort of like collaboration, like invite people to to submit stuff because I feel like that's such a great way to incorporate other people. And since I can't travel or a lot of places aren't letting me go into film, those are kind of like the next best thing. And I still get to be creative, which is ultimately the goal for me. I love it. You are rocking life. I'm so happy you were on today. This was fun. I have like a thousand things to talk to you about off the podcast. And for those of you out there listening, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, share, comment, all of that stuff. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. 